This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Pastor Matt Woodley and is from the 14th Sunday after Pentecost. I moved to the Wheaton area in 2010 from Long Island, New York, and I moved into Wheaton and immediately I had this huge writing project that I had to finish. So almost like three nights a week and all day Saturday, I would go to the Wheaton Public Library. I'd just bang away on my laptop computer trying to get this writing project done. And one Saturday, I was working away. The deadline was looming. I felt particularly inspired. And so I was just like cruising away on my laptop in the, in the library. And this like, she must have been about a 16-year-old girl. She kept turning around and like glaring at me. Yeah. I thought, what, the, what am I doing? I'm just typing. And then finally, after about five times, she turns around and she goes, just utterly exasperated, would you stop typing so loud? And I thought, I am shocked. About the time she was about the age of my youngest son, I thought, you don't talk to somebody that way that's old enough to be your father. So I hissed under my breath, I'll try. And I did try to type as loud as possible. <laughs> bang, bang, bang. Finally, she got up and left. Now, I think you would all agree with me. She handled that very poorly. <laughs> and maybe I did too. Actually, that's a classic definition of passive aggressiveness. There we go. You know, we are living in a world of so many broken relationships, broken conversations, and it is accelerating exponentially. The things that are controversial, the things that create hard feelings, the conversations that break down, the conversations on social media, the conversations of people just yelling and shouting at each other. It's tearing at the fabric of our communities and our nation and our world. What Jesus offers us in our gospel reading today is a really simple, I would call it modest, but revolutionary plan to heal this trend in broken conversations. And he wants it to start in the church. He has great faith that if the church models this, that if the church gets this right, or at least if we're moving in this direction and we're improving, that we can serve as like a model to the rest of the world about how to have hard but healing conversations. Conversations that actually lead to life change. Not only people understanding each other, but people's hearts changing as a result of these conversations. That's what Jesus is talking about in this passage that we heard read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. It's like how to heal the world one hard but healing conversation at a time. Now, there's an assumption behind this, this whole passage, and that's why I included the first paragraph in there from earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, because the assumption is, is that all of us at times in our life, or maybe many times in our life, have a tendency to go astray. We develop patterns in our life that are less than God-honoring, God-pleasing, that might be self-destructive, that might be other-destructive, 
It might be really secret what we think are private sins, but there is no such thing as a private sin. It always spills over into a societal sin. It always does. It never just stays private. And at that point, we need a friend. We need the church community to speak into our life. The church as a mother, as the early church often understood itself. Not a nagging, scolding, guilty mother, but a mother who really has a tender heart for her children. We need the church to speak into her life. Christine Pohl, who's a Christian author, written a book on practices of Christian community. A, a number of you at Reeton College, some of you read this book. She said this, a faithful friend who will speak the truth to us is a precious gift. A person, and I would add, also add, a church who loves us enough to name difficult truths and risk our response can keep us from self-destruction. I just want to say, this isn't for bad Christians. This isn't for bad, Christ or bad people. This is for normal people. This is for good Christians. This is just part of a normal part of Christian community. And it's actually a beautiful thing that can lead to life change in us. So here's how Jesus said it in verse 15 on the passage that you heard read on page 11. He said, if your brother or sister sins, some New Testament manuscripts add the words against you, and that's probably an okay version, but I think some of the older and better manuscripts don't have the word against you, so if it's just if your brother or sister sins, so it's not just against you. If a brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over or you have gained them back. Now, that's so simple, right? I mean, I, you know, when I read that, I have to ask myself, what part of that do you not understand, Matt? It's really clear. You don't need to be a Bible scholar to understand that. It's just very straightforward. It's very simple, but it's so rare. Why is it so rare? Because it's scary because it's hard, because it's risky, because it requires vulnerability, because it could backfire on you. A lot of reasons. Because people have done it wrong in the past, and people have really even abused this passage sometimes. They're all really valid, and yet Jesus said, it's pretty clear, if your brother or sister sins, go. I want to think about it this way. <clears throat> I don't actually have two chairs up here, but imagine there's two chairs, and they're facing each other. Here's chair number one. Chair number one is when you're, see, you see something in somebody's life and you need to go and you need to confront it. Chair number two is when you are receiving a hard but possibly true word. So chair number one, there's one word, only one word you have to remember for each chair. Chair number one, the word is go. Chair number two, the word is listen. So chair number one, let's talk about chair number one, go. Because you see something, it's not just something that is a personality quirk. It's something that's sinful either to others or to you, or it feels painful to you. You go. You see this sinful pattern. You try to ignore it. You try to minimize it. You hope it's going to go away, but it doesn't. So you go. Let's imagine another scenario. Let's say you're eating dinner. You're in chair one, and the person in chair two is munching on some raw broccoli. You know how that gets stuck in people's teeth. Or maybe it's kale. I don't understand why people eat kale, but some people do. So <laughs> you're eating, and it's stuck in their teeth. 
You're sitting in chair number one. What do you do? I don't know. Who am I to be judgmental? I might have something in my teeth. Maybe it'll just go away. Maybe the waiter will come or the waitress will come and say, hey, you got some broccoli in your teeth. No, you go. You say, hey, you got something in there. I know a family in the church, they have this little code thing. They call their teeth Steve. So they'll say, hey, how's Steve doing? You know, so, and then they can hear the truth about how their teeth are doing. So you go. Now, I just wanted to know, I was thinking about this passage. I've read this a lot. I've never preached on it because it's a really hard passage. But how revolutionary this is. Jesus didn't have any kind of like social hierarchy here. So you could be a really poor, powerless person in that society talking to somebody in the church who's really rich and powerful, somebody who's very unprivileged or underprivileged or marginalized, talking to somebody with all the societal privileges. It, it works both ways. Jesus didn't stipulate anything about that. So you go. But here's really important. You go with a tender heart. The Apostle Paul addressed the same thing in another passage of Scripture. So this must have been something that was common in the early church. And in the book of Galatians, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, he put it this way. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, and the word for overtaken there is literally the Greek word to be caught in a trap. So think of an animal caught in a trap. Their foot is caught in a trap, and they can't get out of it. You who are spiritual, that doesn't mean perfect, but you're not caught in the same trap right now. You go restore such a person with a gentle spirit. Why? Watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. You go with gentleness, you go with tenderness, you go with vulnerability because you might be in chair number two five minutes from now or tomorrow or next week. So you go with gentleness. You go with vulnerability. You know, I was talking to somebody in between services, Deacon Val, and she said sometimes in her experience in the church, sometimes people in sort of chair one will, sit, will think that somebody's being really judgmental towards them or really disapproving of them. Well, what's the only way to find out? You need to sit in chair number one and you need to go. You need to talk. I feel like, I feel like you're dismissive towards me or I feel like you're judgmental or I feel like you're judging me. And you find out, you start a conversation. The goal is restoration. The goal is to win back a brother or sister. Notice what Jesus says in verse 15. If they listen to you, you have won them over. The word for won there is literally a financial word. It meant to rake in a lot of money, to get valuable stuff. What's the valuable stuff here? It's a brother or a sister who's now been pierced with the word of God, they've been strained, and now they're brought back. That is priceless. You can't put a price tag on that. So the goal is not confrontation, it's restoration. So chair number one, go. Go with tenderness, go with vulnerability, but go. Chair number two, listen. That's the word that Jesus gives us when we find ourselves in chair number two. You may not agree 100%. You don't have to see the world that this person does in chair number one. You're just trying to listen. You're just trying to say, to let down your guard, to let down your defensiveness, to be vulnerable and say, a brother or sister in Christ has come to me, or maybe some 
couple people from the church have come to me, and they're trying to tell me something. I want to listen. I want to learn. Now, why is that so hard? Well, if you're like me, it's hard we get, because we get so defensive. We feel like this is an attack against us personally. It's, a, it's like cutting into our identity. It's like, oh, you are just, you're not just saying something about my character. You are just like slicing me up inside, and it's killing me. Well, why do we get that way? It's really pretty simple for me, at least I, from my experience, because I don't really believe that Jesus loves me. That's why. That's about what it boils down to. I don't really believe that my identity is in Jesus Christ, that I am in him, that I am rooted in him, and that what he says about me is ultimately true, and that this person may have some valid things, may have some invalid things, but, but I am rooted in Jesus Christ, and my identity is in him. It is with Christ, hidden in him, in God, and nothing can touch that, nothing can change that. So I don't need to justify myself because Jesus has justified it, justified me. I don't need to advocate for myself because he is my advocate. He is with me in that situation. And I don't need to feel like all sliced up inside. So you listen. And when you know that you are in Christ, you can hear some really hard things about yourself. And it can still be like you're getting a gift. You know, when I was a kid, <clears throat> I loved Cracker Jacks. Cracker Jacks, you'd get them sometimes for Halloween. A little box, caramel corn. The caramel corn was okay, but what else was in there? The prize, yeah. And when you're a kid, it's like, you don't know what it is. You don't know where it is, but it's somewhere in that box, and it's yours. So you dig through the box, Sometimes you dump all the stuff out just to get the prize. The magic ring with secret powers, the little tiny comic book, the little pencil, pad of paper, whatever it was, there was a prize in there. So when you're sitting in chair number two, you're thinking, this might be hard. This person's got issues too. I want to defend myself, but there's a prize in here. Even if they're only 10% right, there's a prize in here. Maybe they're 100% right. This brother or sister is giving me something that's true about myself that I can't see. It's like broccoli on my soul. And it's threatening to take over my soul. And this brother or sister has the courage and the love to tell me about it. I don't know. That's not a bad thing. I remember about 10 years ago, there were two older men that spoke into my life at ex almost exactly the same time. And they had exactly the same message. And I won't tell you what it, what it was, but this older guy that I knew from California, he knew me fairly well. He said, Matt, you got to address this, this sin in your life. You got to address this sinful pattern. And then a week later, this other older man in my life, and these two guys did not know each other, they've never met in their life, said exactly the same thing. There's a Yiddish saying I've mentioned once before, if one person calls you a donkey, ignore it. If two people call you a donkey, you better start thinking about it. If a third person calls you a donkey, you better get a saddle, because you're a donkey. So I thought, I'm not going to wait for the third person. I'm going to act on this in my life. 
And they saved me. Those guys awakened my heart to some, an area in my life that I really needed to change. So I said, Jesus has a lot of faith that this is going to work. This is what we might call step one. It's very simple. It's personal. It's embodied. It's eye to eye. It's face to face. But if it doesn't work, Jesus gives us step two. Because Jesus is really serious about his church, and he's really serious about Christians growing into Christ-likeness. So he gives us step two. If that doesn't work, he tells us, take two, one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So now you got two or three people in chair number one. And they are doing exactly the same thing that the one person does. They're going in vulnerability. They're going directly. They're going with a tender heart because they know they could be trapped in the same sin. And then if that doesn't work, Jesus says, go to step three, verse 17. Ratchet it up a notch. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Now, this could be the whole church, or it could just be a couple, few people in the church that represent the leadership of the church. Go and, and then deal with it. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. That's a hard verse. That's like something we don't want to hear Jesus say, but he said it. Now, I really don't think it means that some traditions you get where you don't even speak to the person. You shun them. You won't even talk to them. I don't think that's what Jesus meant here. Because Jesus really spent time with tax collectors. I think what he's saying is, this person now in chair number two that has so consistently refused any kind of correction in their life is now basically, they're basically outside the church. They're acting like they're not even a Christian. And they've made that very clear that they don't want to. And so you treat them basically like there's somebody that needs to get saved. Not that they've lost their salvation. I don't want to get into that. But, but basically, there's somebody that needs to repent and come to Jesus. So they could possibly be excluded from church leadership. They could be excluded from Holy Communion. You might think, wow, that's really harsh. That's severe. Yeah, it is. But let me put it this way. Let me give you an example. Let's say there's a guy in the church and, and by the way, I don't know anybody like this at Res. I really don't. So that's why it's a really safe illustration. But I have known people like this in other churches. But let's say there's a person. So I'm not talking about any of you, just so you know. Let's say there's a person who's really controlling, really critical, not just, not just privately, but publicly. They're critical of the church leadership. They're critical. They're bashing the church leadership online. They're really divisive. They're trying to divide people in the church. They're trying to create their own little camp. They're trying to create a power struggle and take over or at least some territory in the church. So one person goes to this person and says, hey, look, this is what I see. You really need to deal with this. And the person said, no, 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 I'm not going to deal with it. It's not my fault. It's the leader's fault. It's their fault. Blames it all back on somebody else. So then two people, two or three people come. You know, Joe, we all see this. It's like an intervention. 
He goes, nah, 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 nah. That's, it's, it's not me. He gets angry, gets more divisive. Finally, leadership of the church comes and says, look, Joe, you got to deal with this. Again, he gets angry. He gets defensive. He gets hostile. And he continues in his sinful way. So you say, did Joe get kicked out of the church? No. The church is merely ratifying what Joe has already decided about his spiritual life. That's what Jesus is talking about in verse 18. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And then God ratifies what the church has ratified, what Joe has already decided. And remember, this didn't happen. This was not a mob. This was not some kind of hysterical ganging up on Joe. This is a slow process. You can't do this like that. If you want to see a mob, see what happens on social media. This is not a mob. This works slowly. This takes multiple meetings, multiple conversations, multiple opportunities to repent, and Joe has refused. So it is severe. But again, the goal is always restoration. Not just confrontation, but restoration. So why would we do this? It's hard. It takes time. It's risky. It requires vulnerability. Why do we do it? Well, first reason, Jesus told us to do it. And that's good enough. But second reason is because we want to grow in Christ. I don't want to be the same person I was a year ago or 10 years ago. I want to grow. I want to change. I want to learn. I want to get out of the sinful patterns and attitudes that I have. And that often happens in Christian community, with friends speaking into each other's life, with Christian community speaking the truth into your life and into my life. In the New Testament at times, the church often understood itself as a mother, mother church. It's a great analogy here because mother church wants to speak into our lives. Not because, and if you had a bad mother or a painful relationship with your mother, this is a mother that loves you. This is a mother with a tender heart. This is a mother that wants her, accepts her children as they are, and yet wants her children to grow up, wants her children to be more like Jesus. She won't always tell you what you want to hear. She's tough sometimes and tender. But you know what? As Christians, we should yearn for that. We should want that. And if we don't want it, ask the Lord Jesus to change your heart so you do want it. We can truly be a Christian community where sometimes we're in chair number one. We're the brother or sister that's going. Sometimes we're in chair number two. We're the brother or sister that's listening. You know, sometimes this is very beautiful the way this goes across racial and ethnic lines. Sometimes we really need to listen. Sometimes we're in chair number one. Sometimes we're in chair number two. When I go to Nigeria, it look, kind of looks like this. I'll just give you a really condensed version of some of our conversations. Sometimes they'll sit in chair number one and they'll go, you Americans, you Western Christians, you're really shallow in your faith. You've really given up on a lot of biblical principles and morality. We worry about you. We think you've forsaken the faith that you brought to us. 
Wow, thank you. I need to listen to this. And then sometimes we'll sit in chair number one and go, you Nigerians, you never take a Sabbath. You're always just working, 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 working. You never rest. You're just frenetic, always working. And sometimes they will say, you're right. We need to hear this. See how this works or how it can work? Remember, there is a prize in this for you. There is a prize in this for all of us. It can be scary. It can be risky. It requires vulnerability. But God wants to change us. And that change happens through community. So brothers and sisters, let Christ change you through this process. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.